Good morning, Grace. Um, would you like to quit playing the spiritual daisy game of he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Maybe you do this because if you're like me, you fail more than you want. And if you're like me, you sin more than you wish. And if you're like me, you sometimes keep sinning that same old sin that you swore off years ago. And you're still doing it. So what do you do when that's your life? Where do you get hope? Where do you get peace? Because if you're like me, when you fail more than you want and you sin more than you wish and you keep sinning that same old sin that you swore off years ago, then your sins usher in a myriad of condemning voices in your heart. And these condemning voices try to convince you that, number one, God's sick of you. And number two, he's tired of you not keeping your promises. And maybe even number three, that God's mad at you. So how do you quiet those condemning voices? Where do you get peace? The answer is, you have to look outside of yourself to Jesus. And Luke wants to help us with that today. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you feel like you're buckling under life's crushing load and buckling under sin's crushing load, then rest in the favor of your Savior. That's what you can do today. Rest in the favor of your Savior. Russ Masterson says, When we stop insisting like obstinate children that we can do it ourselves, when we stop fighting and lower our shields, we find divine embrace. When we collapse from the exhaustion of resisting the loving Father, we can quit trying to earn back His love with pious pretense and enjoy the freedom He offers. It's then that we rest. And that's what we'll see Mary, the mother of Jesus, do today. She will lower her shield. She will lower her teenage shield and accept what God says about her. And because we are in Christ, those of us who are trusting in Him, then we can get in on the same rest that Mary experiences. We can rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing as we are encouraged to do in the song, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. So Luke chapter 1, where we're going to go for some peace today, look at verse 25 and hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we pick up in Luke's Christmas story, but we soon realize that Luke has hit the fast forward button, and we are now six months into the future, six months into the pregnancy of Elizabeth, but the setting has changed. No longer the temple in Jerusalem. We are now in the city of Nazareth, up far north in Israel. And Luke tells us that Gabriel, an angel, the messenger of the Lord, was sent from God to Nazareth. From up in heaven to up north in Nazareth. And that's shocking. Why? Because Nazareth was not an important city at all. Scholars suggest it may have had a population as low as four to five hundred people. Hardly a place where you would expect an angel to appear, let alone be the hometown of the coming Messiah. So Nazareth was as podunk and as redneck as you get in Israel. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. In fact, we read in John 1.46 that when Philip told Nathanael that they had found Jesus, the Messiah, in Nazareth, Nathanael responded by saying, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We'd expect the Lord to show up in Jerusalem, in the city of David, where the temple was and where the most important religious leaders were, but not in the backwoods in redneck Nazareth. It's surprising enough that an angel comes to earth. But for Gabriel to appear in Nazareth, of all places, and not Jerusalem, is staggering. And for him to visit an insignificant teenager, and not some priest, adds to it. Would the Messiah really call this podunk place home? Yes, because the Lord's ways are surprising, aren't they? God often takes the seemingly forgotten and the insignificant, insignificant and he shows them his kindness and shows them his greatness by glorifying himself through them and sometimes in the most surprising ways. Last week, it was Elizabeth, an old barren woman, advanced in years, who becomes pregnant. This week, we have a pimple-faced teenager in one of the most backwoods, podunk towns in Israel who is about to find out that she will become pregnant with the king of the universe, even though she is a virgin. You can file that under S for surprising. And you might want to get comfortable with that S word because God often works in surprising ways. He's anything but normal. Knocking people's socks off is his forte. And Mary is about to get her socks knocked off because Gabriel tells her that she is going to become pregnant even though she is a virgin. 
Mary was probably somewhere between 13 to 18 years old at this time. And she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And betrothal was a custom where a young girl was engaged to a man, but it was more than an engagement. It would be like being in between engagement and marriage. It was very serious, more serious than an engagement ring, and as serious as marriage. And you would never break off a betrothal unless there was adultery on someone's part. But notice what Gabriel first says to teenage Mary in verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What a greeting. Think about this. Gabriel shows up at the most backwoods, redneck, obscure, it's so small it doesn't get put on maps kind of village to tell a pimply-faced, awkward teenage girl that she is highly favored and that she, even though she is a virgin, is going to be the mom of the Messiah. I told you last week that God is not boring. And how does Mary respond when Gabriel shows up uninvited in her bedroom? Verse 29 says that she was greatly troubled. But she's not greatly troubled at seeing an angel like Zechariah was. We saw last week. That shows you the resiliency of teenagers, doesn't it? Zechariah sees an angel. He freaks out. Mary, the teenager, sees an angel, and she's kind of like, hey. She's greatly, Luke tells us, she's greatly troubled at the saying that she is favored. What troubles Mary is not the angel's awesome presence, not even the surprise, even though you're a virgin, you're getting pregnant. That doesn't shock her. That doesn't seem to face her. What troubles Mary is being called favored one. Mary is shocked and she's confused and she's overwhelmed and her response is the appropriate response to grace. She knows that she's a sinner. And she's called favored. When you come to grips with just how sinful you are, and if this past week of your life hasn't convinced you of that, I don't know what will. But when you come to grips with how sinful you are, and then you realize that in Christ, you too are a favored one, it should be shocking, it should be confusing, and it should be overwhelming. This word in verse 28, favored one, comes from the, the, the root word for grace. The idea here is that one is graced. They have received grace. In this case, Mary is graced by God. God's favor comes upon her from God, and it has nothing to do with anything that Mary has ever done. That's how grace works. God bestows his favor based on his good pleasure and not on human effort. Not on human merit. That's grace. It's unmerited favor. You cannot earn the grace of God. You cannot be good enough to receive the grace of God. And this Greek word here, favored one, only occurs in one other place in the New Testament in Ephesians 1 where Paul says this, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us 
in the beloved. I was struck this morning reading this again by that phrase, to himself. It was like I read it for the first time. And I've read Ephesians 1 probably hundreds of times. But that's what I love about God's word. I will never master it. No one will. No matter how many times we read it, new things will leap off the page. And this morning, that phrase, to himself. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. To be with him forever. Not, hey, you guys on the new earth, stay way over there. I'm so glorious. Y'all can hang out over there. I don't want to be around you. He adopted us to himself, to his heart. There's no distance with God. There's no stiff arming. There's no, I'm on my phone, leave me alone kind of stuff with God at all. We are brought into his heart. Beware of any kind of preaching that paints God as this ogre who saves you but really doesn't want anything to do with you because he's so glorious. You have been predestined for adoption to himself, to his very heart. But that's not even the Greek word that I'm talking about, okay? That's just extra that the Holy Spirit blew my mind with this morning. The phrase there, he has blessed us, is the same word that Gabriel uses here with Mary. Paul is telling us in Ephesians 1 that God has blessed us. He has graced us in Jesus. Because we are in union with God's beloved son, we are favored just like Mary. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with us. And so God says to you right now, Just like Gabriel said to Mary, greetings, O favored one. And if Jesus were to walk in here this morning, he would say to you, greetings, O favored one. And you would say, moi, are you talking to me? And Jesus would say, absolutely, I am talking to you, O favored one. And that ought to calm your troubled heart this morning. If you have a tender conscience, Because of your sin, and you know it so well, and you hate it. If you have a tender conscience this morning, and you're weighed down like a ton of bricks with condemnation, with voices that say, how dare could you do that? How could you ever do that? Again and again and again. If you're weighed down with like bricks with condemnation, or if you wonder this morning if God even cares about you, or if he loves you, or even if you wonder, does God even like me? Then listen to these words, favored ones. Rest in the favor of your Savior. You can rest beside the weary road, even though you are a sinner, even though you really messed up, because you are more than that, more than that messing up, more than that sin that's weighing you down, you are more than that in Christ. You are more in Christ than you are anything else in this world. And this is something that has happened to you, Christian. It's passive. You didn't do this graced thing. It was done by the Holy Spirit to you the moment he regenerated you and made you alive in Christ. You didn't grace yourself in, and you can't mess up your way out either. It's all of grace. As Scotty Smith says, the gospel puts an end to the spiritual equivalent of the daisy game. He loves me, he loves me not. We live in the perpetual favor 
of God. Christian, you live in the perpetual favor and unabated delight of God. And it is only because God chose you. Okay, favored ones, let's get back to our story. In verse 30, Gabriel reassures Mary that she need not be afraid because she has found favor with God. So twice now, Mary has learned that she has found favor with God and that calms her heart. And then Gabriel tells her that she is not only miraculously pregnant, but the baby to be born will be none other than the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior whom God's people had been waiting for. And that's exactly what Jesus' name means. Jesus, his Aramaic name was Yeshua. That comes from his Hebrew name, Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. Yahweh is God's covenant name in Hebrew. You see it in your English Bibles when you see Lord and it's all capital letters. That's the English translators letting you know in the Old Testament, this is God's covenant name here, Yahweh. So Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. And Gabriel says, that's what you're going to name your baby boy. Yahweh saves. So Gabriel got to name Mary's baby boy. And it was one of the most common names of the day. So she didn't get to pick out one of those cool hipster names for her baby. Gabriel tells her that she's to name the boy Jesus. Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. And then Gabriel tells Mary that this baby boy would be the son of the Most High God and that he would rule over the throne of David, rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom would never come to an end. Think about that. His kingdom will never come to an end. America might not be here in 100 years. I don't know. But his kingdom will never come to an end. And then get this. The angel Gabriel knows his Old Testament, and he lets Mary know that. Her baby is of the Davidic line. Her baby is connected to all of the Davidic promises in the Old Testament. Her baby is the Davidic king par excellence. Now, in order to understand what is happening here and how significant Gabriel's words are, we have to know a little bit about the Old Testament ourselves. We have to know that the kings of Israel and Judah were, for the most part, scoundrels. Not good. Bad guys. There were a few good kings. But even the good kings were sinful and not the perfect king. But names like Saul and David and Solomon should remind you of how bad These guys were, how bad these kings were. Yes, David is in the bad guy king list. These bad kings were adulterers and murderers and womanizers and drunks and idolaters. And their stories would have made it on some ancient Near Eastern true crime podcast, I'm sure. And the failure of all these Davidic kings sets you up for this promise in Isaiah 9, which I think the angel Gabriel is alluding to. You know the passage. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Gabriel's promise to Mary is an echo of this promise in Isaiah 9. The child that is to be born to Mary is the child that Isaiah said would come. Gabriel calls the baby Jesus, right? But, get this, Jesus' full Old Testament name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I love how Jewish translations capture this verse. They just transliterate the Hebrew of Isaiah 9-6 straight into English. They don't use words like Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, etc. They just take the Hebrew and plug it right on over into English. In fact, it's our sermon title today. And his name shall be called Pele Joez El Gabor Abi Sar Shalom. Isn't that great? The baby to be born to Mary, named Jesus, also has an Old Testament name that was given to him some 700 years before his birth. And so maybe on the birth certificate, Mary wrote Pele Joez El Gabor Abi Sar Shalom. And then she said, we'll just call him Jesus. I, I picture Mary, you know how like when, when parents say the full name of their kids? I picture Mary saying, Pali Joez El Gabor Abi Adsar Shalom, get in here. Did you hit your sister? And he would be like, no, because he's sinless, right? <laughs> Maybe she used the full name for him, I don't know. But did you catch that phrase in Isaiah's prophecy? He said, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. And Gabriel uses those exact words here. So Gabriel is telling Mary that the promise in Isaiah 9 is coming true inside of her as she gets ready for that calculus test that she's having next Tuesday. Think about that. And now think about this. It has been some seven to eight hundred years since Isaiah prophesied and spoke of the baby named Pele Joaz El Gabor Abi Adsar Shalom. And the nation of Israel has waited seven to eight hundred years for this promise to be fulfilled. But during the last 400 of those 800 years, God has been silent. As we saw last week, it's been nothing but crickets. But now God is speaking again. And it has been some 600 years since Israel had a king sitting on the throne of David. 600 years of other nations ruling over them. They had been waiting for a king for so long. They wanted a real king, a true king, one who wouldn't blow it like David and Saul and Solomon and others. One who would be faithful, not like all the other kings in the Old Testament. They wanted an Isaiah 9 kind of king. And Gabriel tells Mary, the king that you and all of Israel have been waiting for and longing for all these years, he will be growing inside you real soon, even as you study for that calculus test on Tuesday. And this is confusing to Mary. If she is a virgin, how can a baby boy named Pele Joez El Gabor Abi Adsar Shalom be growing inside of her? Well, Gabriel tells her, but he tells her not to answer her questions per se about how, but in order to encourage her faith. So look at verse 34. 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's just a teenager. And she gets this bomb dropped on her. How could she become pregnant? She's a virgin. How can this be? And then she learns it's the Holy Spirit who's going to make it happen. Gabriel tells her, Nothing is impossible with God. And then that's enough for Mary. I love that. Gabriel simply says the Holy Spirit will cause you to get pregnant. And that's all he says. Zero details. He doesn't go out of his way to explain it. He doesn't mention DNA or cells or embryos or anything. He leaves it just as a mystery. So understand this, Grace. God is comfortable dropping mystery on us. We aren't. We're not comfortable with that. We want answers, don't we? We want to know why. Why is this happening? Why? Why? We want explanations. We want all of our questions answered all the time. But God often does things, and we don't get all the info. And sometimes he does things, and we don't get any of the info. And we don't like that, do we? And we want to know why. And God is more interested in whether we trust him or not. Listen, God is not in the habit of explaining everything If you want to follow him as a disciple, you need to know that. He is not in the habit of explaining every single thing that he does in your life. He does what he does, and we are called to do what we're supposed to do. Trust, worship, and rest. And that's what Mary does here. Mary's like, okay, let me get this straight, Gabe. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow me. Check. I don't need an explanation. I'll take you at your word. And my barren, very old, advanced in years, still can't figure out how to work her iPhone, Aunt Elizabeth is preggers? Check. Nothing is impossible with God. Got it. Check. Okay then, Gabriel. I'm the servant of Yahweh. Check. Then let it be to me according to your word. Let it be. Let it be. When I find myself in times of trouble... Mother Mary comes to me. Wait, I'm Mary. When I find myself in times of trouble, the angel Gabriel comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Okay, Gabe, let it be, let it be. Can you tell I've been watching the Beatles' Get Back docuseries on Disney Plus? I just finished it. It's wonderful. Check it out. It's fantastic to watch them put together the Let It Be album. But it's as if Mary knew this Beatles song. She says, let it be. Two times she hears that she is favored. Two times she hears that she is graced. And her response to God's favor and grace, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And that's where joy and freedom are found as disciples. When you can say, let it be, Lord. I am your servant. Not my will, but your will be done. And what led Mary to quote Paul McCartney's Let It Be song lyrics? It was all of these promises that Gabriel stuffed into his words. He said, the Lord is with you, Emmanuel. 
And what this shows us is that God seems to be very interested in sustaining our faith, especially when we're confused. When things happen in our life and we don't understand, God is especially interested in sustaining our own faith. That's why Gabriel brings up Mary's 60-plus-year-old Aunt Elizabeth getting pregnant. Gabriel brings up the pregnancy of a barren 60-year-old woman to encourage a 15-ish-year-old virgin that she's getting pregnant by the Spirit of God and not her fiancé. I love that. And that's also why Gabriel uses the phrase here, for nothing will be impossible with God. Because this is an allusion to Genesis 18.14 when barren, advanced in years Sarah was told that she would become pregnant. I told you Gabriel knew his Old Testament. He links back to another, she too old to get preggers woman. He takes a phrase from Sarah's miraculous pregnancy in Genesis 18. The phrase, is anything too hard for the Lord? And Gabriel shares it with Mary, the confused teenager. This is what God does for us. He seems intent on sharing promises and truth so that our faith is sustained when we are confused and when we feel like we're in the dark, which is why we have to be here every Sunday morning to hear God's word preached, to have fellowship with one another so other people like Gabriel can share promises in God's word with us to strengthen us. Listen, you can't do it on your own. You can't fellowship on your own. It's easier that way. I get it. Okay? It's easier. I don't bother me. Okay? If I could do Christianity by myself with just me and my Bible, man, I am good. I need people. You need people, which is why we have to be here every single Sabbath day. Because the Holy Spirit wants to take God's word and give it to you to strengthen and sustain your faith. He seems intent on sharing promises and truth with us so that our faith is sustained when we are confused and when we feel like we're in the dark. And some of you feel confused about life today. And you don't know why things are the way they are in your life. And you feel like there's a lot of mystery and you're in the dark. Well, Gabriel the angel would say to you today, and you may need to rub this into your pores He would say to you, for nothing will be impossible with God. Today, the Holy Spirit is intent on sustaining your faith. He wants you to leave church today saying, for nothing will be impossible with God is anything too hard for the Lord. And so Gabriel encourages Mary with two way too old women got pregnant stories, Elizabeth and Sarah, And then all of these allusions to these Davidic promises in the Old Testament. And how does Mary reply? Mary simply says, let it be. Let it be. That's the posture of discipleship. Let it be, Lord, according to your word. And that's where freedom is. And that's where joy is. The Christmas joy that Elizabeth and Mary are experiencing as they experience morning sickness and as they begin to be miserable because they can't sleep on their stomach anymore is all because they bent their knees to the king. They didn't understand it all. They were confused. 
They had lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. And it seemed impossible for an old lady and a virgin to become pregnant. Think about that. Sometimes we're not shocked by the Christmas story. A 60-plus-year-old woman gets pregnant and a virgin teenage girl gets pregnant. They had lots of questions. But they trusted God's word that was spoken to them. They didn't understand, but they trusted. What is happening in your life in this season of Advent, in this season of waiting? Where do you lack understanding to God's ways? Where are you confused? Where does it seem impossible? Where do you feel in the dark? Turn to his word. You can trust his word. It's the only sure thing in this world. This book is the only sure thing in this world. It's the only thing that we can count on. It's the only thing that we can point to and say, whatever happens in life, that's true. You can't point to other things in your life and say, whatever happens, that's going to be there. Because we could lose loved ones, we could lose our marriage, we could lose our home, we could lose our church, we could lose our friends, we could lose our children, we could lose our jobs, we could lose our cars, whatever. This is the only thing that we can point to and say, that is sure, that is certain, and I'm going to stick my nose in it more and more next year because this is reality. Not Google, not Twitter, God, not Facebook, right? This is reality. And I promise you, if you stick your nose in this and not Facebook, you will be a better person. People will come up to you and say, you're different. Be like, because I got off Facebook. Oh, now we know. No shame and condemnation for those that are on Facebook, okay? I think mine's still up from like seven years ago. It was my last post, I think. I went over to Twitter and then it got just as bad. Some of you need to hear Gabriel's words today. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Some of you need verse 37 right now. What some of us need for Christmas this year is verse 37. Gabriel's words, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Sometimes you may just have to lay in your bed at night and say over and over again, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Okay, back to our story. Mary is on her way to see Elizabeth. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary takes off to see her aunt or cousin, whoever. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, her baby leaps in her womb. A fetus is the first person to welcome the Messiah. Think about that. 
an unborn baby, an unborn person, an unborn human being, not a blob. An unborn human being is the first person to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. And so John the Baptist is like, yeah. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She prays a blessing over Mary and the baby in her womb. I mean, can't you just feel the joy that is present in this house when you read these verses about two women who shouldn't be able to get pregnant getting together? Luke wants us to catch that joy here. Even baby John the Baptist caught the joy as he leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And then Mary breaks out with the case of the I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I mean, picture a pimple-faced teenager singing her heart out to her God. And then let's pray that we would catch this joy. And then let's especially pray this for the teenagers here at Grace, that they would break out with a case of the I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm." He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. You know what? Mary knows her Old Testament. This is a teenager who knows her Old Testament. And she didn't have her own copy of the Old Testament. She would have had to go to the synagogue with her parents, her parents to hear the word of God read. And she stored these things up in her heart. She knows her Old Testament because her song is full of allusions to passages in the Old Testament. We don't have time to get into it, but... Mary's song ought to draw worship out of our hearts right now because all of this redemption-dense theology in her lyrics should lead us today to doxology. Mary is throwing us a low pitch, a softball. Anybody can read her words and swing and hit and knock it out of the park. You don't have to have a PhD in the Old Testament to get the gist of her song or to break out with the case of I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my hearts. Because two times Mary mentions God's mercy, his compassion, his care. Mercy will make you sing Mary's Magnificat. All you have to know is that You are a sinner and you deserve eternity in hell and God has graced you in Christ. And when you come to grips with the fact that you are a favored one more than you are anything else, more than you are a Dallas Cowboys fan, more than you are a Republican, more than you are a vegan, 
when you realize that you are more of a favored one than anything else that you could put your identity in and wrap your identity up in, then you just might worship God like this teenager does. When you realize that you have a strong Savior who never faints, never grows weary. Mary says he has shown strength with his arm. His strong arm is for you today. How do you respond when you've been favored by God in Christ? You worship. You sing the Magnificat. How do you worship when you've been favored by God in Christ? You sing like a teenager named Mary. That's what you do. You sing your own version of the Magnificat. Mary's song is calling out to us. It's beckoning us. It's it's wooing us in this season of waiting, in this season of Advent, to rest in the favor of our Savior. Let's close with something Scotty Smith told Russ Masterson. Here's how Russ describes uh, their conversation as he was being mentored. Scotty said to him, why do you think that doing more and trying harder is going to put a bigger smile on God's face? Scotty asked me one day. He already loves you as much as he loves Jesus. There's nothing you can do about it but believe it. Rest in it and serve him from, not for, his delight. And then Russ continues. God isn't comparing me to someone else or keeping score. He's not assaulting me with condemning questions. Why aren't you like your sister? Why can't you get your act together? Why did you screw that up? Why aren't you more motivated? If we are in Christ, we never lack his love. We only lack Resting in it. Favored ones, rest today because the everlasting God loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us as much as you love Jesus. That's as confusing to me as an old lady getting pregnant or a virgin getting pregnant. How could you love us like you love your son? It's only because we are in union with him. Father, thank you for all that Jesus has done for us to secure our adoption, to be brought to you, to your heart. Thank you for all that he has done to make us favored ones. May we realize that we are more favored than we are anything else that we might place our identity in. And then may we rest and go love and serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.